ever wondered what God looks like? I know I have. I know as far back as I can remember, I've wondered. But I've never been satisfied with where it got me. I've thought of God as an old man, a nice grandfather figure, but one who's a tad fragile, not someone who can defend me when I'm threatened. I feared him as a strict principal, an ever-present policeman who was always nagging on me and just waiting to thumb me as the guy who did it. I once considered him to be my good luck charm. All I had to do was call on him and hopefully he would come serve me and give me what I want, my own personal genie in a bottle. I even pictured him as an absent landlord, someone I have to pay rent to, and frankly, probably someone who has a lot better things to do than bother with me. And I've imagined him other ways, but all my images of God are just too small. All of them, that is, except one. God has told us in the Bible that He is spirit. He does not detail His physical appearance. And in fact, it reminds us that no man has seen God at any time. But the Bible also tells us something else. It tells us that God became flesh. It tells us that Jesus makes it known what God is like. That He is the visible image of the invisible God. That in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. It tells us that Jesus himself said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. If you know me, you know my Father. The Bible also says that Jesus' body was not stately in form or appearance that we should be attracted to him. But his person, wow, talk about attractive. When you talk about the person of Jesus, you don't find yourself talking about his strong points. You marvel that he is the exact representation of the nature of God. Every good attribute and characteristic of perfection was seen in Jesus. Want to know what God looks like? Then take a look at Jesus. See how he handles the oppressed. Watch how Jesus pursues those that are lost. Notice how he deals tenderly with friends. Be amazed at how he loves and offers forgiveness to his enemies. Look at how he stands strong in the face of death. Notice how he sacrifices himself for the good of others. Watch how he respects those in authority and yet how he bows to no one. Observe how he handles hypocrites, betrayal, and deceit. Look at his response to dead religion, burdensome traditions, and the arrogance of men. And yet, notice how children run to him. Watch him serve his world and lead his men. Always loving, never failing, continually forgiving. Want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Hey, welcome back to our series, Images Everything. Last week, Donnie kicked us off, and he talked to us a little bit about um, the way that we view God. It affects the way that we see ourselves. It affects the way that we see other people, and it certainly affects the way that we live our lives. So an image, the image of God that you have is vital to a healthy self-image. It's, it's critical to having a healthy relationship with your kids, with your spouse, with the people that you work with, the world around us. It's vital to your personal faith. And it actually affects our impact on the world around us. In this series, what we're looking at, we're looking at a few warped views that people have of God, a few of the distortions that hurt us. And then we're going to contrast that with some healthy perspectives on God that will actually help us. Well, today, I want to continue with another distorted view of God that really tweaks our faith and really fouls up our relationships. And it really does alter how we see the church and I want to start by messing with you a little bit, give you a couple of profound thoughts, profound for me anyway, to get your brain around. The first thought is this, is that fathers actually shape a child's perception of God. They do. Now follow this train of thought with me. 
16 years ago, I became a father for the first time. 14 years ago, a father for the second time. Shortly after that, God kind of put this idea in my head. I was thinking about the creation story. You know, Genesis 1, 27, one of the, the first part of the Bible. Scripture says that God created man in his image. So if you think about all the things that God created, all the different beings and animals and their ability to reproduce and create life, human beings are the only part of God's creation that God has given the ability to create life in his image. What an incredible privilege and what an awesome responsibility that we have. I mean, very few of us approach the idea of being a father with the thoughtfulness and gravity that this opportunity deserves. We just went through this with my daughter, Taryn, you know, how difficult it is, how many hoops we had to jump through to get her a driver's license. And if you've, you know, had to apply for citizenship somewhere or to get a passport, it's, it's a hassle to get all that stuff done. And yet any knucklehead can be a father. It requires no thought, absolutely no thought in, in many cases, um, you know, to make that happen. But this is very sobering when you, when you stop and consider that a child's perception of God is largely formed by their interaction with their human father. Like it or not, good or bad, like no other force is as powerful in shaping how we see God as our dad. Dads are a child's first and most formidable window into affection. There they learn about acceptance. They learn about strength and tenderness. They get their first view of authority and stability and love. And Jesus tips his hat to that when when he talks about the father in John 14. Beginning in verse 6, he says, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him and you've seen him. And Philip said, well, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is letting us know that God is our ultimate Father figure. Whether we're reading about God the Father in the Old Testament or whether we're trying to understand him by interacting with Jesus in the New Testament part of Scripture, our picture of God, unfortunately, is viewed through the lens of our human father. Now, for those of us that have a great dad, we have a great relationship with him, this whole word picture is very comforting to us. It's very exciting, and it brings a smile to our face, and we've got lots of cool memories. I'm realistic. I understand that there are many of you in this room today that the idea of God as a father does not fill you with happiness. It, you get a kind of a cold feeling inside and it, kind of a, a sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. You know, you find this whole idea very disturbing. Maybe because you have a father who is or was abusive. You know, maybe physically or sexually or verbally abusive to you. Maybe your father was distant, cold, uninterested. Maybe he had more interest in his career and the family dog than you. Maybe you had a father who abandoned you. Maybe through divorce, maybe he died when you were young. Maybe you don't even really know who your father is. That's something that's never happened. I never found that out. When Teresa and I were dating and very early in our marriage, she used to try to ask me a lot of questions about my childhood. It was very frustrating for her and for me because I could think of a few stories, but there were these big black spots in my memory. I, I, I really couldn't tell her a whole lot about my childhood. And over the years, I've done a little bit of counseling here and there for, you know, marital stuff and for, you know, being dad and and just trying to understand how my brain works is very confusing, by the way. But as counselors kind of helped me kind of go back into some really dark corners in my mind and pull some of these memories kicking and screaming into the light, I understand why I kept them back there. They're ugly and they're painful. I just want to share a few of those with you today 
I think they're relevant to what we're talking about this morning. And I want to be very clear. I, I am not trying to get you to feel sorry for me and like try to invite me to lunch. Okay, don't do that. Uh, I'm not trying to get some free group therapy. I don't think this is, you know, the Montel Williams show or anything like that. I, I just want to show you why thinking of God as a father has been very difficult for me and how it's affected my own faith. And I'm doing that because I have a sense that some of you are wrestling with some of the th- same thing. We're on a parallel track, you and I. But in the process, I want to show you how I, I've discovered that as flawed as my own father was, I've discovered over the years how perfect and how adequate, more than adequate, more than enough, my heavenly father is. The first thing I want to tell you about is my father is, was very deceitful. My dad had two extramarital affairs that I know of. And the reason I know about those two is because my dad invited me to go with him to see his girlfriend. Oh, I didn't know we were going to see his girlfriend. I thought, you know, my dad was really busy. He was gone a lot. I thought, this is going to be great, just some guy time, me and dad. And I, we didn't do that hardly at all. And I was really excited to that, about that until I discovered that, oh, the reason I'm going is to provide him cover. And he expected me to lie to mom about where we'd been and, and what we'd done. And the effect on, on my perspective and relationship with God was just finding it really difficult now to believe in God's promises, to believe that God was honest, had integrity, that he really was who he said he was, and that he wasn't just using me for for some other purpose. My human father was indifferent to my feelings. When I was a kid, my my very first family dog, Frisky, lame name, cool dog, but uh, Frisky got out into the street one afternoon when me and my friends were out there playing and got hit by a car and died. I I was devastated. I didn't know what to do, so I called my dad at work, and he was too busy. He didn't have time to talk with me. And so my friend's dad drove across town, came to be with me, bury my dog, and spend time comforting a little boy that was heartbroken over the loss of his pet. I was 13 years, old, 13 years old. I used to help out my grandpa at his service station on the weekend where my dad worked as a mechanic, and I would, I would pump gas and check air in the tires and all that stuff. And uh, one afternoon on, on my birthday, I was working, and my dad said, hey, we have to go home. I said, Okay, so we got in the truck and went to my house, and my mom had put together a surprise birthday party. You know, I got a bunch of my friends ran out of my room, ambushed me with cream pies and stuff. It was a lot of fun. And my dad didn't stay for the party. He went back to work because he was, he was busy. And about an hour and a half into the party, the phone rang. I saw my mom roll her eyes, hand me the phone, and on, the voice on the other end of the phone was my dad. He said, hey, um, we're really busy. When are you coming back to work? I need you back here. The effect on me and my perspective of God and all that was just finding it hard to believe that God really cared about me, about the struggles and heartaches in my life. And for a long time, you know, I was a little reluctant to make requests of God because I figured, you know, he was it's the creator of the universe. He has a lot more important things to worry about than me. So I found it hard to ask God for things in prayer. And I also struggled for a long time thinking that God's love towards me was connected with what I did. It was very performance-based. All of that was affected by that interaction with my father. My human father was also unavailable. He was a great mechanic. Every family car we ever owned was a muscle car. It was pretty cool. He was a self-taught electronics whiz. He built his own stereo components and, and all that stuff, and, and he didn't teach me any of that. Dad worked all the time at the service station, and I know now that he was hiding from a troubled marriage. It was easier to be at work than to be at home, but that didn't feel good at the time, and it made my sister and I think that work was more important than us. I played football, and I wrestled all the way through middle school and early into high school. And uh, the service station where my dad worked was three blocks from the high school gym and from the stadium where all the games were played. And over a four-year period of time, I think my dad maybe came to three home games or matches, even though he was only three blocks away. Now, my grandfather, on the other hand, drove 30 minutes one way 
He was at every home game, every home wrestling match, whether I was starting or not that particular time. So the effect that had on my perspective of God was, was finding it difficult to believe that I really do matter to God. It was, I found it very easy to doubt God's presence in my life from day to day. This one's a little tougher. My human father was abusive. My mom told me that at two years old, it was kind of a minor miracle. I'd been playing quietly in my room all morning long, and my dad had, had his electronic stuff strewn all over the floor out in the living room. He was, he was getting frustrated. He was beginning to say things that weren't very nice because something wasn't working. He couldn't figure out the problem. And I wandered out of my room at the wrong time. Apparently, I, I did something or made a noise, and I was making too much noise. And so dad picked me up, stomped across the room back into my room, slammed the door behind us, and put his weight against the door so that mom couldn't get in, and then proceeded to just beat the snot out of me. I remember in elementary school, I made him mad or something, and he was chasing me through the house, and I was a little faster than him and managed to get away, and I remember hiding in fear under a pile of dirty laundry for over an hour, praying that Dad would not find me. I was a late bloomer when it came to nocturnal bladder control, okay? So, um, yes, right, I was a bedwetter. (laughs) Way into elementary school, way older than most kids. It was a really embarrassing thing. My dad had a variety of bedwetting punishments uh, trying to motivate me. And one of his favorite was taking the wet mattress and putting it on the, the roof of the porch that faced the street so that all my friends would see the mattress. And hopefully that would shame me into getting things under control. I was so worried about dad finding out. I used to take the wet underwear. I mean, I was a little kid. I didn't know anybody. And, and stuff them behind the dresser, just trying to hide him, praying that he wouldn't find them. After about a week, dad came to my room and went, what is that smell? And started to pull the dresser out and found all that underwear. He was so angry. He grabbed me, threw me across his knee, and proceeded to cram each pair one at a time into my mouth to teach me a lesson, teach me not to do that stuff. Well, my perspective on God in all that is I've just been a little bit afraid of God over the years. Obviously, I realize there are consequences for sin. I mean, you can't be God. You can't be the standard of what's right and wrong and truth and justice and not punish sin. But I've struggled with blaming God for every bad thing that's happened in my life. And I've found it very difficult over the years to approach God and to ask him for forgiveness. When I've sinned, that's been the last place that I've wanted to go because I was so afraid of what might happen to me. And I've shared this with you all before. The last thing is my human father abandoned the family. We moved from Wellington, Kansas, a little town where I grew up, to Tulsa, Oklahoma at the start of my sophomore year. And dad left three months later. I remember coming home from school. I didn't know what was going on. I saw him in the driveway putting a suitcase in the trunk of his car. I said, hey, I'm going to go live with my mom for a while. I'm going to get a job there, and I'll send money. I'll be back. Well, never sent any money, never came back. So the effect on me has just been finding it really difficult to trust and rely on God over the years, you know, thinking that I had to take care of my own needs, to face my own struggles by myself because I wasn't sure that God could be reliable. Maybe he was like my dad. I've learned a lot about fathers over the years and since my dad left, and I've learned this that all earthly fathers are flawed and imperfect. 100% of us, guys, we have to admit that. We are not perfect. And I've learned that my dad behaved that way in a large part because of the way his dad treated him. It's kind of a generational thing. And in becoming a father myself, I figured out this is pretty hard. There are days when I really don't know what to do, and I make a lot of mistakes. You can ask Teresa and the girls to verify that for you. But over time, I've learned that God... My heavenly father is very, very different from a human father. As good and bad as earthly fathers can be, God is everything that we are not. 
Let me share with you what I've learned real quickly here. Psalm 18, verse 30, reads this way. God's way is perfect, and all the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. The thing I've learned about God is that God is always truthful, always, 100% of the time. I can always count on God to tell the truth. Every promise I've read about in Scripture has come true. Everything that God says, I find true in life. I find to be true in my life, in my family, in the world around me. I've discovered that God is 100% truthful. Now, if you're like me, sometimes the truth is hard to hear. Maybe I don't want to hear it, but that doesn't change the fact that it's true. God deals honestly with each and every one of us. He keeps his word. You can take it to the bank. You can rest your life on the promises that God says. Hebrews 4, verse 16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it the most. I've learned about God is that God listens. What I say is important to God. What you say matters to God. There's nothing that's too mundane, too trivial, too stupid, too silly for us to discuss with God. He's never too busy. He's never too preoccupied. Every time I sit with him in prayer, every time I sit in the quiet, he is there, and I know that he's listening. All I have to do is look back through three or four prayer journals and and see the evidence is there where God has listened and God has responded to me. Psalm 145, verse 18 says, The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. Here's the cool thing. God is near and involved in our life. See, God does not blow off time with me. God doesn't blow off time with you. In fact, God treasures it. He loves it when his children stop and are quiet and spend time with him. That means the world to him. There's nothing in the universe or the cosmos or anything else happening in the world that's more important than time with you and with me. God's presence is always near, whether I acknowledge it or not. He is very hands-on in my life and in your life. He's there guiding and directing and orchestrating. Micah chapter 7 Beginning of verse 18 says, Where is the God who can compare with you, wiping the slate clean of guilt, turning a blind eye, a deaf ear to the past sins of your purged and precious people? You don't nurse your anger and don't stay angry long. Check this out. For mercy is your specialty. That's what you love most. And compassion is on its way to us. You'll stamp out our wrongdoing. You'll sink our sins to the bottom of the ocean. God is gentle and loving. See, God does punish sin. You know, again, he has to. But God is not vindictive or cruel. And God punishes me or punishes you to help us learn to stay away from the things that hurt us and hurt other people. It's the same rationale that I use when I, you know, smack my girl's hands away when they reach for a boiling pot of water on the stove. Don't do that. That will hurt you. God wants me and he wants you to turn toward him. God loves to forgive. One of his favorite things is to forgive. And lastly, and this is a big one, Hebrews 13, 5 says, The Lord has promised that he will not leave or abandon us. He will not leave or desert us. God never, ever, ever abandons you. People can turn away from God. They do it every day. But God does not turn away from us. He does not turn away from you. He does not turn away from me. God can always be counted on. He's always there. Right before my friend Mike Iaconelli died, um, he was talking about a friend of his at this little church he pastored in, Wairika, California, named Dan. The thing you got to understand about Mike 
is Mike always kind of with a smile said he pastored a Kmart church. It was a little storefront church in Wairica, California, which is kind of a bathroom stop between California and Portland, okay? Little bitty town. And Mike used to joke that his was the slowest growing church in America, maybe about 50, 60 people at a time. But these were people that had very warped views of God, and they had pretty rough lives, and there's a pretty rough crowd. And Mike faithfully and gently and gently pastored those people for years before his death. And he, he was talking about his friend Dan. Dan, at the time, Mike was telling the story, he was about 60 years old. It was the week before Christmas, and after church, they were talking about the, the Christmas service next week and about the holidays. And Dan just said, Mike, I hate Christmas. Mike, what are you talking about? He said, I hate it. Ever since I was a little kid, Mike says, well, what's, what's the deal? Dan told him that when he was, he was a little kid, he had a rough childhood. He grew up, his mother made it clear that she didn't want him. He was living with a stepfather who hated him because Dan wasn't his real son. And so every day there was a new barrage of psychological torment trying to get at him. And one of his stepdad's favorite things, favorite ways to torment Dan was at Christmas time every year, the stepfather gave his real son 12 presents every year. Cool stuff, you know, skateboards, games, toys, all kinds of fun stuff. And every year for Christmas, Dan got one present, a T-shirt. One year at Christmas time, there was a knock on the door when he was six years old, and the door opens up. It was a cousin he didn't know he had, that it was in the military. This guy showed up, big army uniform, and a huge box with a bow on it. He said, hey, little man, I've got something for you. Somehow he tracked him down, and he brought in. So Dan tore open this big box, and inside was a red radio flyer wagon. The deluxe model with the wooden slats that go down the sides, it was beautiful. And it was the best Christmas present he'd ever gotten. He wouldn't get out of that wagon all day. You know, he played in it all day long. Finally, that evening, his cousin had to go. And so as he left the house and walked out of sight, immediately his stepfather turned to Dan and said, "Um, give that wagon to your brother. Why? It's my present. No, it's not. You're just going to mess it up. Give it to your brother. Dan said, ever since that day, I've hated Christmas. Every, every time I see Christmas presents, I have this uncontrollable rage. I, I've been angry my entire life. I've been to all kinds of counseling, all kinds of therapy. None of it works. I don't know. I know where the anger comes from. I don't know how to get rid of it. Mike was really upset. He was hurting for his friend. And all the way home for church today, he was thinking, what can I do to help? And he had one of those God moments, those inspired moments. He got home, got on the computer, surfed over to eToys. Guess what he found? A red radio flyer wagon, the deluxe model with the wooden slats that go down the sides. So he had an express ship to his house. It arrived Christmas Eve day. And Mike spent all day putting it together. And then just kind of, kind of on a whim, he typed this little letter from Jesus to put in the wagon. And the letter read this way. It said, Dear Dan, I know you thought I forgot about you when you were a little kid, but I didn't. I was just waiting for the right moment to give you this. Mike put a big red bow on the wagon and late that night drove it over to Dan's house and left it on his front porch. Well, he knew Dan worked nights, so he went home, went to bed, got up for, for a Christmas service the next day. Dan came in, never said a word about the wagon, never said a word about the letter. As a matter of fact, didn't even mention it for a whole year after that. Finally, uh, one day, Mike got a letter in the mail from Dan, and it, it, it read this way. It said, hey, Mike, I know it was you who gave me the present, and I'm sure you're wondering why I haven't said anything about the wagon. You need to know that the letter from Jesus is now in a frame in my living room. The radio flyer wagon is in a corner in my living room, and it will always be in my living room. I pull my grandkids around in it and let them play with it, but that wagon is going to be mine until I die. I've been to all kinds of counseling for my anger, and none of it worked. But when I saw that wagon, all that rage just left me. Now, 
if you had to describe to someone the guy that you've pictured as you've seen him through your father, what does that God look like? How have your, how have your earthly father's best and worst attempts and his intentions, intentions how, how has that shaped your image of God? You know, what has tweaked your image of God? Divorce, affair, abuse, a father who's emotionally distant or overbearing, maybe a dad that was addicted to drugs or alcohol, maybe a dad who gave you every possession you ever wanted but withheld from you the relationship that you really needed, maybe a dad who wore you down with unrealistic expectations and unrelenting criticism, maybe a dad who scarred your soul with physical or psychological abuse. You know, each one of us can pick apart our earthly father. That's easy because they're imperfect. And I want to be clear that this message is not an attempt to drag them through the mud or to scapegoat them for poor decisions or bad behavior on our part. I just want you to realize that your father has, has contributed more to your perception of God than you may have realized. And I want you to acknowledge that. Just own that impact and know this, that God is nothing at all like the worst parts of your human father. And God is much, much more than the sum of everything that was good about your dad. We are never going to find a perfect dad in this life, but what we need can only be found in God. And he is the only worthy father figure. 